Hey guys, wanted to invite you to the Awaken Conference, Memorial Day weekend, May 23rd through 25th in 2020. We are bringing it back. Thousands of young adults are gonna gather in this city, Dallas, Texas, to be a part of a weekend where we awaken to the movement you were made for, which is the church. To be a part of that weekend, to find out all that'll be involved, you can go to awaken.live and sign up. You don't wanna miss it and we hope to see you there. Could not be more excited. So welcome everybody that is here tonight. And also, let me do something as we start off 2020 that we've never done before. Let me welcome every Porch Live location, whether you're in Porch North, up in Frisco and Plano, in Fort Worth, in Fayetteville, outside of Philly and Southampton, Cincinnati Porch, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Missouri City, Sweetwater, Texas, Houston, Texas, Phoenix, Porch Live, Mid-Hill, North Carolina, Porch Nashville, Porch the Woodlands, Porch El Paso, Porch Tulsa, Porch Austin, and Porch... Boise, Idaho for the very first night. In case you were wondering, we love getting to welcome all you guys. We can't always do that because there's a lot of them. So all that to say, welcome friends. Tonight we are starting this series, Roaring Twenties. We are back in the twenties, which is pretty crazy because, uh, man, it it has been a minute since we were here, but we're back again. And it's crazy to think of what actually just how our world has changed since we were in the 20s, the 1920s. I don't know what you know about the 20s or how much history you're familiar with, but the 20s were a time where iconically images like this were really famous of what was known as the flappers. Apparently this was really scandalous because girls at that time, (laughs) it's crazy how much the world has changed. Scandalous because girls wore dresses that came up to their knees and boys were not supposed to mess with girls. Mama told you not to mess with girls who had dresses that went to their knees. Uh, In addition to that, there was something taking place I believe called, yep, next one, Prohibition. We actually outlawed alcohol for a decade, which just led to like bootlegging and the underground crime unit. Additionally, Babe Ruth was on the scene. If you remember him, iconically remembered because of Sandlot, Great Bambino was around. Women's right to vote happened. There we go. Better late than never. It's crazy that the country sustained Everyone knows women are smarter than men, generally speaking, and that you made it that many years without women speaking in directly. It's a thing in and of itself. Uh, in addition to that, Amelia Earhart. Yes, queen. This girl flew. It was the very first aviation lady to pioneer that. Henry Ford transformed the world with the Ford 4AT, Ford T model, and 24 million cars burst onto the scene. It was roaring because so many technological advancements were happening. Electricity quadrupled. People were getting access to running water. They had a car. The game was changing, and it was roaring. In addition to that, uh, little known fact, there was also something called sliced bread that got invented in the 1920s. And so the expression of it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, now you know, oh, they mean since the 1920s. But the roaring 20s just had all types of things that marked that generation. And as we look towards 2020s, uh, you can't help but wonder, what is history gonna record about the 2020s that's gonna be in front of us when people look back in a decade? And truth is, none of us know. Can't know, won't know. We'll get to hopefully live through it, unless Jesus comes back. But what you can know is what your 2020s are gonna hold. Not entirely, but largely. Because you're gonna play a role, and I play a role in shaping my 2020s, the years 2020, to 2030, if we're alive, if you're alive, you will play a direct role not in controlling everything your 20s are gonna hold, but more than anyone else, you are going to shape, more than anyone alive, what your 20s are gonna hold. This is a decade that will define your life. We call it the series, The Decade of Decisions, because this is a decade. It's sobering and crazy and like, oh my gosh is that feels that this, more than any other decade, will likely determine who you're gonna be, the direction of your life, the story you will have. Think about that. Why do I say that? You know, even secular psychologists say that 80% 
of the major decisions that we make in life are made by the age 35. Between the ages of 20 to 35, we make decisions. 75% of you will, by the age of 35, be married. That's not a guarantee, and I hate to say it. This section right here is the 25% that won't be married. Everybody else, <laughs> just that was not the right, and that's not at all too, but pointing, 75, think about that. That means the vast majority, other than, you know, 25%, and then the, uh, more than 80 will be married by 40. This decade is also the time where we establish careers or the direction of kind of your career life. They even say that the majority of your lifetime wage earnings will be established in your 20s and early 30s. You develop your personality and it changes more than any other time in your 20s. There's not a single decade that is more significant to the direction and story of your life than the one that you're living in right now. Think about that. And the good news is, the God who's there loves you, is crazy about you. He hasn't left you to navigate it on your own or me to navigate it on my own. And he wants you to have 20s that roar in every way you could imagine or every way in your heart of hearts you want them to. He wants more for you than you even want for yourself. And he's given us instructions in his word to lead you to life in these 20s. And he's invited you, don't run your own offense in these decades. Don't leave it in your own hands. Don't leave it in the hands of culture of the world around you. I'm a loving father who wants to lead you in the direction of the life you couldn't hardly even dream of and the story that you're going to tell someday. And so tonight, we're going to kick off what will be the first or really six or seven weeks in this series where we want to cover. Here's like our goal and hope for this series is that in the next handful of weeks, we want to cover the biggest issues that you got to have a death grip. you got to get this issue right if you're going to have 20s that roar and everywhere you want them to and God wants them to. So we're going to go through dating, we're going to go through finances, we're going to go through career, we're going to go through everything that we think as we just pray through, like, these are some of the biggest issues you've got to get right in this season of life that are at the heart of really the young adult experience and so many decisions that you and I will be making over the next 10 to 15 years. Tonight, I just want to start us off and really frame up the series and explore decision-making in your 20s. The Bible has, you may not realize this, lots and lots to say about wise decision-making. The entire book of Proverbs is all about decision-making. There's a passage tonight we're gonna look at the Apostle Paul teaches on, Jesus teaches on, like how to make sure you are not a fool who wastes away, who brings like pain and messes up your life. You only get 120s, you only get one life, and the God who's there loves you enough to give you clear instruction and me clear instruction on how to best use it. So we're gonna kick off by looking at decision-making in our 20s. What does it look like to make decisions in line with God's word and in line with producing a 20s, 2020 to 2030, that roars in every way we want it to. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Galatians chapter six, Galatians chapter six, and we will kick off and read a few verses and I'll break it up as we go through there. Galatians is a book written by the um, apostle formerly known as Saul, who became Paul, who uh, spent half his life trying to stomp out Christianity, meets Jesus, and then devotes the rest of his life to spreading the message of Christ and the gospel all around the world. He writes uh, about one third of the New Testament and this is one of the letters that he wrote to the church in Galatia. And he's laid out, really, he spends several different chapters talking about the gospel and how, how it lives out the good news of Jesus dying on the cross in your place, how you can have new life. And then he transitions and gives some sobering reminders that despite the fact that God has already made the way, no matter what you do, if you have trusted in Christ, you have eternal life forever. In a moment, by faith, you trust Jesus on the cross, paid for everything you've ever done, and you trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he defeated death, he paid for your sin, you're a believer. But that doesn't mean that now any way that you live in this life is going to be void of consequences. So he says this, starting in verse 7 of chapter 6. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. He uses an agricultural expression, and he basically says, hey, God has put into the universe or into our world certain laws or certain principles that if you break those principles, if you live in the opposite direction of what God's law teaches, you are going to experience consequences for it. He introduces a principle that, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. Like, hey, you sow apple seeds, you're going to reap an apple tree. So orange seeds, you're not going to reap a banana tree. Whatever you put in, you're going to end up eventually, whatever you plant in the ground, whatever you seeds are sown into your life 
are going to produce fruit. Those are going to be a part of your life. So be careful what you sow, because God is not mocked. He gives us, uh, the first idea that I want to highlight is just the principle of decision-making. Like, there's a principle that the decisions you make, every time you're making a decision, daily, small, big, you are sowing seeds into your life that eventually are going to show back up, that you're going to harvest. You're going to produce fruit either positively or negatively. And it's a principle. It's a principle. What I mean and why is that important? Because a principle, as uh, it, it's been said, is not something that you choose to apply. Like, hey, if you reap and if you choose, you can sow. No, a principle applies itself to you. The, the principle and law of gravity, gravity is not something you choose to apply. Like if I decide, and I'm not gonna apply gravity and I step off of this, it's gonna apply itself to me. And so it's not a question of whether or not this is something you should do. It is something that will happen to you. What you reap, the decisions you make today in your dating relationships, financial relationships, in your career, in your character, in the people you're around, all of those decisions are eventually gonna show themselves back up inside of your life. So the question is, what are you planting? What are the things that you are putting into your life, the decisions, whether you're consciously making them or not, that are going to direct the course of your life? You are building a life. And the question is whether or not you are intentional about the things that you're building it around. What do I mean? Like, uh, I'll use an illustration. Over the uh, break, we went to a place called Build-A-Bear. Anybody ever heard of Build-A-Bear? My, my four-year-old son, it was his birthday, birthday month. Um, we were told that if you go into Build-A-Bear, for whatever age you are, that's the price you pay during your birthday month. So he was turning four. He, he was like, oh, we're going to get a $4 bear. We're winning. This is awesome. And we go in there and go to the store. And uh, my first experience with Build-A-Bear, so didn't know exactly what I was going into, but it's like, dude, four bucks, this is such a win. And then we got into Build-A-Bear. And what they don't tell you is that, yeah, they'll give you like this empty blank bear, but anything else that you want to build into the bear is an additional price. And it is not a cheap price. So they're over there charging like $18 for some shoes that a bear wears and some underwear and pants and a shirt. And I'm like trying to like get out of there like, no, we'll just, we'll just do the four. And that people look at you like, what, do you not love your children? Is that what this is? And you're like, all right, just give him the pants. Give him the pants already. We'll pay for the pants. And he begins to go through and, and I let him like, we let him build whatever he wanted. So he gets the Spider-Man stuff in there and he begins to add on. And each thing that he added came with a cost. And as his dad, I know that the things that he's adding, I'm like, I don't know that you're going to want that. Like, he was like, I, I want it uh, to smell like strawberries. And I'm like, dude, it is a, that is really strong strawberry smell. Are you sure you're going to be smelling that forever, forever? And uh, if, uh, man, Sandlot has got me thrown off right now. And then it came to the music, and they, they, they like, put, like, a thing that makes music inside of it for an additional $12. And... Um, and he was like, yeah, they let him go through and pick the songs. And he picks 12 days of Christmas. And I was like, man, I love that. I don't know if you're going to want 12 days of Christmas for the rest of the rest. Like in June, we're, we're still playing 12 days of Christmas in my house right now. And I know this is, you like it now. It's costing us $12. I don't think you're going to like it in six months. And it's a $50 bear. So, um, but he just went through and everything he added had a cost with it. And some... As his dad, I look on and go, man, I don't know that you're going to like that right now. And other things, you know, I think you're probably still going to like that Spider-Man shirt in six months. What does that have to do with you? You are building a life. This decade, you are deciding and you are creating and you are becoming the spouse you're going to be. Today and the decisions that you made play a role in shaping the type of husband, type of father, the type of career path, like the person you are becoming. You are building it. And every decision that you make comes with a cost. It's not a question of whether it's like, hey, it, is, it a, um, is it free or is it not? Like, no, every decision that you make comes at a cost. What do I mean? Like the decision that, hey, I'm going to give my 20s to just kind of living for the weekend and partying every Thursday, essentially through Saturday night, and then I'll be there at church. But I'm going to live towards that and give it away and basically numb my 20s away because I'm so depressed with the rest of my work week and life it's gonna come at a cost of experiencing your purpose in this decade. You're gonna stay in a dating relationship and it's gonna come at a cost. That's something you're building into your life. You're saying, I'm gonna put that on my bear. And it's a dysfunctional dating relationship. Some of you are in them right now. 
And you're staying in that, and you're continuing to stay with, you know, Mr. Wrong or Mrs. Wrong, and it is gonna prevent you from getting healthy because there's something unhealthy about you that you even keep going back to them. So you're not gonna get healthy, and you're not gonna end up finding someone that's the type of person God describes. So while staying with them is something you want in your life, it's coming at a cost to you. The flip side is true if you want to follow God's word. If you want to do what he said, like some of you, you've made the decision that, hey, this year I want to change my playmates and my playgrounds, or I've been trying to do that because I just have negative influences around me and people who keep calling me and I keep getting pulled down by them. And it's going to come at a cost if you want to build into your life. I want the right people in my life. I want God's people in my life. It's going to cost you. What do I mean? Like it's going to cost. There's going to be Friday nights where you say, no, I'm not going to the bar again. Some of you are going to say, hey, I want to get healthy. I don't want to have just, I keep having one messed up relationship after the next. I'm beginning to think the common denominator is me. I need to get healthy. And I think I just need to break up. And it's going to come at the cost of breaking up. And let's be honest, like, dude, that sucks. But it's a decision that you'll look back on and go, man, I'm so glad, despite the cost and the pain, and as hard as it was, that I decided to do what God instructed me to do. And the flip side is also true. That there's things that, man, it may not cost you as much to continue to not follow what God says in the moment. But when you finish the end of your decade and all you have to show for it is a bunch of stories that you hardly remember because you were intoxicated, it comes at an even greater cost in the long run. But the point is, you're going to reap what you sow. Every decision that we're making is a part of sowing seeds. And Paul says, are you making sure you are planting the right seeds in your life? It's going to cost you the way. Make sure that in the long run, you don't end up with a bear playing 12 days of Christmas all year round. Or with a life that you end up at 30 going, how did I even get here? Or 35. Paul continues. Oh, there's another verse that just is so relevant to this that I'll read where the author of Proverbs highlights. You know what the definition of a, a fool biblically is? Like over and over, the, the fool used in Proverbs is somebody who knows it's wrong and I'm just gonna keep doing that anyways. Like, candidly, uh, I'm using this, and this is going to sting a little bit because some of you have said this before. A fool is someone who thinks they're an exception to the rule. If you're like, yeah, I know that that's pretty much, you know, the bad thing for everybody out there, and I really shouldn't be with someone like this, or, you know, I really should stop smoking because it kills you, but, you know, my grandma lived to be 98. That, from the biblical perspective, who says, I see danger coming, I don't care. I'm not going to live in light of that, biblically speaking is a fool. I don't see this relationship actually ever going anywhere that's healthy. But I just don't think I can leave. You're a fool. And as lovingly as I can say, that's just biblically the definition. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3 says, the wise see danger and they take refuge. But the simple or the foolish keep going and they suffer for it. A wise person sees danger coming sees where this is going, and he begins to stop and make a change. Some of you tonight, the God of the universe who loves you so much, he has you here on a Tuesday night studying his word, who cares more and is more deeply invested and concerned with you thriving in your 20s, having an amazing marriage, having an amazing future. He cares way more about that than you do, for you than you do. He's got you here. And you may be in a place where you're going like, I feel like I'm, I've been on the wrong track. Like I lost the track. I'm way off. I've been running. I've been making decisions. And uh, I found myself in a substance addiction or in a really unhealthy relationship. I, I don't even know where to go. I feel like I'm just lost and I'm totally off the course that I want to be at. I don't even recognize myself anymore. Things I never thought I would do, I'm doing. If you're in that place, you need to know your story's not done and God has created and wants you to take a path back towards getting on the right track. You're not too far gone 
for him to take your story and make good out of it. But here's what you also need to know. There is no overnight fix. In other words, in that moment where we're like, hey, I'm lost right now, I just don't know where to go, and I just wish like everything's falling apart and I can't believe it and she's pregnant or I can't believe the STD happened, whatever the situation is, whatever your story is, or maybe it's just, I can't believe that I've just wandered so far from him. There is no overnight and I'm back. But just like when I get lost in the car, you get lost in the car. Like I was in Cleveland a couple weeks ago for an event and I uh, was driving my own car and I just don't know Cleveland. So I thought I was headed the right way and then I realized I'm lost right now. How do I, when I'm lost, get back on track? I retrace, I go back to where I was and I get on. There's no moment where I just blink and I'm back on track. That's the same way with a Christian life. If you've been running, you need to know you're not too far gone. But the path is not just some overnight thing. You make a decision after decision after decision. The way you beat a pornography addiction is not by just, man, and then one moment he just prayed over me and it was done. That's generally not the story. Generally the story is I've been sober one day. I was sober two days. I was sober three days. I've been sober four days. I've been sober five days. I've got God's people around me. And day by day I am pursuing sowing seeds of purity, a dating relationship, when whatever uh, you have. If you start dating, you're like, dude, this one, I'm for sure, you know, I've got a past, I've slept around a little bit, but this one, no way we're ever gonna do that. You need to know the way that that happens is by day after day pursuing purity. It won't happen because you're like, you know what, we're in this to win it, but I just find you so unattractive, I have no temptation here. That's not how it works. You know that, right? Generally, that's the problem. It happens one day after the next that, hey, I'm committed to pursuing purity. You committed to pursuing purity. We're going to do this. We're going to fight and we're going to go because we're sowing seeds of where this relationship is going and where our life is going. And the God who's there says, are you planting the right seeds in the ground? He then gives us two directions or fields, so to speak, that he lays out that each of us is going to sow where he says this, verse eight, whoever sows, which is again, just a word for planting seeds, To please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Let me stop. This is one of my least favorite biblical words, flesh. It's just a weird term that we don't really use. And um, like nobody's like, she's just a fleshy girl. That typically is not a, um, it would confuse people. Biblically, and other translations have this, the word flesh is just a word for sinful nature. What's the sin nature? So whoever sows or plants according to what their sinful nature thinks they should do, is gonna reap destruction, it says. Sin nature is the thing inside of you that makes sin come naturally. It's a thing that says, I wanna do what I want, when I want, with who I want, whenever I want. That's the sin nature. And he says, if you live by that, if you let that govern your life, it's gonna lead into destruction, self-destructive stuff. But if whoever sows or plants according to please the Spirit, sorry, from the Spirit will reap eternal life, that if you sow spiritual things, which is things according to God's word, those are uh, the things that you plant in your life, that you are going to reap life. The second thing, in addition to the principle of our decision-making, which is that you're gonna reap what you sow, is the path of your decision-making. Every decision is putting you on a path in one direction or another. Paul says, and if you sow according to sinful nature, you are gonna grow eventually, not in a moment, things that are destructive. Addictions, idiosyncrasies, toxic thinking where you just can't get out of it. Anytime you begin to sow those things, it's gonna lead to fruit from those things. And the same thing, which is also positive, that if you sow according to the Spirit, there's gonna be a fruit that comes at a later time. That he says, hey, you can predict based on the decisions that you're making in this season. It's so hard to believe because it's like, One day, really, is it really that big of a deal? Paul says, "Ah, it's not just one day. When you take those days and you take the decisions and you put them together, you can predict who you're gonna be and where you're going, what your life is going to look like eventually. It's interesting because we as like a culture love to kind of connect the dots on where we're going or where we've been and who we are and what we hope to look like, hope to be like someday and and have this like, uh, you know, mixed relationship where we don't mind looking back and we love kind of looking forward. And um, like, you remember the 10-year challenge? Anybody participate in this? 10-year challenge? No? Really? Wow. You guys got to get on 
social media, I need to get off or something. Tenure challenge was this moment where uh, people were like, hey, this is what I was 10 years ago. And, um, and so here, there's 10 years ago, this guy was like sunburned, leaving a Hollister shop or something. And this, come a long way. And, uh, but we've all, we're, they just looked back on, this is where we've been. And then there was another way where we did it in the future where everyone had this, uh, this app where we took, basically, we allowed Russia to hack all of our stuff. And we were like, make me look old here. I want to see what the future, if I age like fine wine or what I'm going to look like. And we put it up there. In fact, here's the, uh, where, where I was like, I looked at this and was like, I got to start using lotion or something, face cream, because I look like the guy off Castaway looking for Wilson. Or, uh, and this is not the future that I want someday or Santa Claus. And uh, take it down. Okay, good. And in that moment, you can like look and you're like, oh man, if this is true, is this really, you know, the future in front of me? And Paul would say, not in a picture way or, you know, externally what you're going to look like, but he would say, I can tell you if I was to spend time with you and be around you and look at the direction of your life, I can tell you where you're going to be in a year, in two years, in 10 years, by the time 2020 ends or the 20s end, I can tell you who you are becoming and where this is headed inside of your life. By the decisions that you make today, they're a path. They're not a moment. Each one of them is a part of a path that is taking you somewhere. Are you headed in the right direction? Let me be just a little bit more explicit. Are you headed um, in the right direction as it relates to your dating relationships? Like some of you are thinking, uh, like, let's just be real. Uh, there's, there's people of us, or some of us in the room that are like, hey, you know what? I'm just kind of like dating casually right now. It's not that big of a deal. They're not the perfect person, but I don't have to find the perfect person. I'm just in my 20s. And you're kind of going through this casual dating phase and you're a little dysfunctional, but you have in the back of your mind that you're like, no, but someday, I, you know, I'd like to party now a little bit, but I'm going to end up married. And when, you know, when the right time comes, probably like 30, maybe 31, and I'm going to find the right guy who loves Jesus and we're going to settle down. He's going to look like Ryan Gosling. He's going to make me breakfast, come in the morning, be like, hey, babe, how was your quiet time? And you you think that's coming. And uh, let me just be real. That's not coming. Um, it's not. And uh, what's more likely to happen is that you're going to continue to dysfunctionally date and date and date and find maybe your worth or identity in having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend or that relationship. And then 32 is going to come around and you're not going to have some guy that loves Jesus because you don't love Jesus. And guys who love Jesus are interested in girls who love Jesus. And girls who love Jesus are interested in guys who love Jesus. And you don't love Jesus and you haven't been loving Jesus. So you're going to end up probably making a poor decision by marrying like, you know, mediocre Matt, who, no offense, Matt, who is like, he doesn't even love Christ. He's, he's, dude, he, he, let me just, let me just going to press. I'm just going right now. He's going to propose to you in a very unromantic way, won't even have a ring, hasn't talked to your dad, but he's like, hey, let's do this. And you'll be like, well, I guess he's the only option I got. He's mediocre Matt, but that's cool. And I don't want to spend my life single. And you're going to marry him. And that's a tragedy. And I'm saying all that in a lighthearted, playful way. But it's all too real. And I've seen it too many times. That you just kind of you assume someday I'll get serious about God. And that day is not coming. Or someday, hey, I'll really get somebody who is the type of husband or type of father or type of mother that I want to be. And that day's not coming. Unless you become the type of person that type of person is going to look for. Others of you, like, you're going to get this right. Others of you, for sure, like in the next 10 years, you're not going to be in, end up with... Uh, uh, that story, you're going to end up with the story that like you go all in with Jesus, you start serving at a church, you're going to meet a godly guy and he's going to see in you a godly girl or you're going to meet a godly girl and she's going to see in you a godly guy and you guys are going to go on a date, you're going to get to spend time together, you're going to end up pursuing purity together, you're going to get married, you'll probably have a kid by the end of 2030s or 2030. It's true. Like that story is in this room. It's beautiful. And tragically, the other story is that some of you guys are going to get married and divorced by 2030. But you don't have to. And the decision to do so is in your hands right now. And as I prepared this message, my heart could not be more broken and pleading with you. 
These are the days and years to decide who you're gonna be because who you're gonna be will define who you're gonna marry, where you're gonna work, and the person in the future and story you will tell for the rest of your life. Are you writing the story that you wanna look back on? Others of you, as it relates to like, you know, the path that you're headed on as it relates to your financial scenario. You're in debt and you're like, I don't really, you know, it doesn't really matter, I'll deal with it someday. And you're just adding on to it. You're like, yeah, a car payment, that's a good idea. I've already got 50K, what's another 10K in debt? And you're adding on to it, adding on to it, thinking like someday I'll get married and they'll love me so much. They'll be like, you know what, I got this. Here's some, here's 50 grand, just take it. And, and you know, it'll go away. And that's not gonna happen. Generally, or it's at least not a great plan to happen. Others of you are gonna take finances. You're gonna be like, dude, the Bible says, borrow a slave to the lender. It's in Proverbs and I'm gonna make the decision where I wanna do everything I can to honor God with my finances. I wanna get out of debt. And here's the other thing that you're gonna do because you're gonna live according to what the Bible says. You're gonna have something that no amount of money, no house, no amount in your bank account will ever give you contentment because you're gonna make the decision. I'm gonna live what God says, how God says I should as it relates to money. Others of you on your career, like you're gonna sow and it's not gonna be in the direction of faithfulness and your job, like I'm just telling you, the next 10 years, here's what it's gonna look like and, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You're gonna jump from one job to the next to the next because you're like you're gonna find yourself like, dude, I'm just trying to be real here. You're gonna get in a job and you're gonna be there for like a year and a half. You're gonna be like, I just feel like I'm not passionate about this. No one here appreciates me and I, don't th- I feel like, un- honestly, I'm underpaid. Let's be honest. How much does Becky make? Becky doesn't feel like she's doing that much and you're gonna jump out of that job thinking everybody else is the problem. You're gonna get in a job for a year and a half and you're gonna find yourself thinking the exact same things, never dealing with the entitlement and the narcissism that's there. And you're gonna jump again, going, you know what, I gotta find something I'm passionate about. Not realizing every job on the planet has days and parts of it where you're just not passionate about that. And you know what, you're gonna forfeit getting good at your job. So you're gonna be 30 and jumping again, being like, I think I'm gonna explore a new career. And there's times that everybody transitions, so I'm not saying this is all the way wrong, but if you're the person who jumps and jumps and jumps, you should be concerned. And you will forfeit actually getting good at your job and forfeit forming deep, because it just takes time. Like, you know that, right? Like, it takes time to be good at anything. And you're also gonna forfeit, like, deep relationships where you work, having a ministry presence where you work because of deep relationships that are there. Others of you are gonna make the decision that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have long faithfulness here at this job until it is so clear God has called me somewhere else and I'm gonna go do something else. And there's times where he does that. But you're gonna make the decision, man, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna show up early, I'm gonna leave late, I'm gonna honor my boss, I'm gonna uh, uh, set low expectations for everyone else and I'm gonna seek to serve them and honor the people I'm working. And you're gonna experience life and thriving there. Spiritually, some of you are going to just, like, tonight, you're like, dude, you're just, you're being too mean. I'm never coming back here. So that's okay. And you're going to leave here, and, um, and I hate, I hope that's not the case, but you're going to leave here, and for regardless, whatever the reason is, you're not going to step back in church for a while, or you're just going to have kind of a church hopping, like, I just every now and then pop in, good vibes, got to get a little fill, then I go back on my way, and your faith is going to continue to wither and suffocate. You can't eat once a week, just like you can't eat once a week or you can't, shouldn't be spiritually fed once a week. And that's what you're gonna do. And your 20s are gonna be wasted away and you're spiritually not gonna grow with God. And you know what? You're gonna call a friend in like three years who's here and say, I just feel really distant from God. There's no mystery there. You've continued to walk and walk, walk distantly from God. He still loves you, crazy about you, welcomes you like a father anytime you return. And others of you are gonna say, man, I'm gonna take this decade and I'm gonna make decisions that are gonna lead towards the path of the person that I wanna become. It's small daily decisions and I'm gonna invest and grow my relationship with God. It's crazy how small things daily can be so transformative over time. Like, do you know if you read the Bible 10 minutes a day, if you listen to the Bible 10 minutes a day, so whatever your commute is, if you take 10 minutes of that, and you read or you listen to the Bible in a year, you will have finished reading an entire Bible. 10 minutes a day. If you decided, you know what, I wanna memorize some verses this year. If you said, I'm gonna memorize a verse a day, by the end of the year, you would have memorized or could have memorized Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians combined. 
It's just little small deposits of faithfulness. And some of you are doing it and you're gonna do it and you're gonna reap an incredible harvest, the Apostle Paul says, of hiding God's word inside of your heart. This idea of like, man, staying on the right path, continuing towards the right direction, small decisions in a moment by moment determine the direction and destination of my life never goes away. This past week, I was gathering with my community group and I was sharing with those guys, hey, I just need you to pray for me and hold me accountable. I've been having lustful thoughts about women who are not my wife. And I don't want those thoughts to lead me towards habits, to actions, to anything that takes me away from being the man that I want. And you may be here for the first time, you're like, did a pastor just say he has lustful thoughts about a woman who's not his wife? Yes, because I'm a human and I hate it. And I need guys in my life who can pray for me, hold me accountable, ask me about it, so I invite them in because here's what I know. I can either suffer in silence, continue to feed that temptation on my own, and it's gonna take me to a path. And I don't want to be the 40-year-old man who's still constantly feeding his mind thoughts sexually of people other than his wife. I want the last time I've ever had a thought like that to be behind me. Maybe that's not possible because sin nature is a real thing, but I want as much as I can to make sure, hey, I'm not allowing that thought. I want to get it out in the open and I need you to pray for me. I need you to know about it. This is not who I want to be because I want to plant the right seeds. Are you planting the right seeds? Finally, Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. And he switches and really backs up and gives a nod or implication of the eternal harvest that comes. But he says, don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He switches and begins to talk about, hey, it's gonna be worth it. Continue to sow the right seeds, to make the right decisions, and I promise you, it's gonna be worth it. And he begins to talk about eternity, and he's basically saying, it's worth it in this life and the life to come. It's gonna be worth it. Hold on to it. Continue to make the decisions in those moments where it is so difficult, and it's difficult. Let's just be honest. He says, it's gonna be worth it. Continue to sow the right seeds. Wherever you're at today, wherever you've been, you can today begin to sow the right seeds in your life. And Paul says, it is gonna be worth it. The third idea or third point from this text is the promise that doing good pays off. The promise that doing good pays off. I heard uh, from another pastor this weekend a uh, story uh, that was related to a study that was done in, um, by a, a group of 1,000 individuals, and they divided the group in two, and they said, hey, you guys are gonna put sunscreen on your face every single day. If it's you know, sunny outside or if it's not sunny outside, put sunscreen on your face every single day. And then the other group, they were told, just put sunscreen on whenever you want or if you're going out into the sun. So group, every single day, even when it's raining outside, put it on your face. Group, just put it on when it's sunny or whenever you want. And over a 10-year period, they studied both of these groups at the end of the time. And they discovered a significant reduction, not in cancer or in sunburn or any of the things that you would, you know, of course, in the aging of their faces. That a significant, like a change, significant above 25% that, hey, the group that put on sunscreen every single day significantly aged less than the group that did not, that they were able, based on these small decisions, to determine, hey, what their future and what they are going to look like in the future. What does it have to do with us? Nothing, but the porch is beginning to sell sunscreen, and if you swipe up on our porch app, <laughs> you can use the promo code Porch 2020 and, uh, and David sunscreen. And no, that's not at all it. The idea that, hey, based on these small decisions, you can see who you're becoming. You can see what is in your future. And Paul says, it's worth it. Just like that small decision, sunscreen every day. It's worth it. The decisions to study God's word, to live in community, to do the hard thing when it's the right thing even if it leads to breaking off a relationship, getting out of a financial situation that you can't afford. He says it's worth it. Living according to his word, it's worth it. And in the end, you're gonna see it. And living for yourself or any other thing in your 2020s or for just your 20s and your 30s is too small of a thing to live for and a foolish thing to give your life for. So not only is it worth it, because in eternity, you're gonna experience for all the good and the ways that you sow spiritual things in your life, you're gonna experience a reward and benefit for all of eternity. Not only is it worth it for all of eternity because of that, but because it is too 
small of a thing to give your life to just yourself, to you making a name for yourself or getting more money or just having the love story that you want or getting that uh, you know, rich and famous or a million Instagram followers or whatever else you think that is worth it out there. Those are too small of things to give your life towards. Why do I say that? Think about, let me say it this way. I was talking with my team. We were talking about the 1920s. And, um, and I asked, hey, does anyone know who was president in the 1920s? And it's kind of a funny question because there's three of them. And not a single person knew who was president. I'm guessing most people in this room don't know who was president in the 1920s. And maybe some of us do, but think about that. It's Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, and Wilson at the very beginning of them. Think about that. The president of the United States, the highest office in the land, the greatest holding of success you could have in terms of worldly standards, most people would say, the leader of the free world, a hundred years from now, no one knows who they were. Most of you, you know nothing about Herbert Hoover. You're like, is that the vacuum guy? I thought it was the vacuum guy. He was a president? No, not the vacuum guy. President, Calvin Coolidge. Most of us think, that, isn't that a cartoon? I thought that was a cartoon. You have no idea who that is. This is the highest achievement man can make and in a hundred years, no one knows who they are. No one is going to know who you are or who I am. You living for yourself, your own kingdom is too small and foolish of a thing to live for. And the God who's there, listen to me, has invited you in your 20s and in your 30s to live for something so much bigger than yourself. This is the most unique time period of your life. Like no other time period that you're gonna have. You have more time, energy, availability to serve Christ, to do something amazing. All of the disciples, what did they have in common? They were all young adults. Every major revival in our nation, you know what it all had in common? It was all led by young adults. Most of the people, candidly, that you respect when you look back in history book, you know what they have in common? They were all young adults, 20s and 30s. Martin Luther King, yesterday, how old was he when he died? 35. He spent most of the years by which you're like, wow, forming and developing his character, And then for the few years before, having an incredible impact. My point is this. This is the time where if God's going to use you and he wants to use you and he will use you and he always historically has used young adults, where it is your chance to not give your life to the bar scene, to give your life to living to make a million dollars. How foolish of a thing is that? Where you can give your life to the thing that you were made for, the own relationship that satisfies to expanding and showing the world around us the one that they were made for their savior, and if God is gonna use you, and over and over and over again, it's in this unique time period, candidly, this age, in this limited time window, where God grabs the hearts of young adults and he uses them to spark something. And I hate that so many of us, despite everything or anything that I'd say, or as much as I would try to plead for that to happen, it's fallen on deaf ears, and you're gonna leave And you're going to continue to just be obsessed with what the world around us thinks and living for yourself and what a waste. But my heart and my hope is that some of you, you're going to get it. And you're going to decide, I'm going all in with this, with Jesus, with what he invites me to. And you're going to experience, Paul says, life in this one and the one to come. In conclusion, the principle of decision-making is that you reap what you sow, the path that you're on is defined by the decisions that we make or that we make and there is a promise God says it will pay off interestingly you know the 1920s are iconic because it was a time that was like so exciting and just booming and everyone was like money 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 and it was scandalous and there was kind of a recklessness like as much as I was kidding about the you know dress that they were had it was like wow this is so crazy and people were investing money like crazy the economy quadrupled people were taking out loans to put it into the stock market think about that and it just money 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 and people had a mentality that was like the music's never going to stop let the party continue let the champagne roll and eventually that reckless mentality led to some reckless decision-making around the stock market and finances. And all of a sudden, that perspective that, hey, the party will never end, it's only up and up, all of it came crashing down. And what followed was a Great Depression. And so many of the people who lived through that, like the party, music won't ever stop, the music stopped, and they had to go through a depression. And you know, if you have any grandparents that lived through the Great Depression, there's something that most of them have in common, where they're all like very sober-minded because of it. 
Like you're like, Grandma, look, can I just have one scoop of mayonnaise on the sandwich? She's like, you can have half a scoop, half a scoop for you. That she's just like, I just don't know what's gonna happen because that crash and depression sobered them. Some of you, tragically tonight, you're listening and you're listening where you are in the 17 locations or you're listening to this podcast and you're, despite all of the things that God clearly says, you are not going to listen. And you're gonna continue a mentality that I'm gonna live how I want during this phase of life. It's not that big of a deal, dude. I'll be the exception to the rule. And I want you to hear me. It's going to come crashing down. And when it does, there's gonna be a depression of sorts that follows. And it's gonna have implications for your 30s and your 40s. And in the midst of that, you know what's true? God's gonna meet you there. And that depression will be something hopefully God uses to grab your heart and bring you back to him and say, I've never been angry at you. I love you. I've always wanted life for you. And I still offer that. But you're gonna have to sow according to my ways. But others of you, you're not gonna allow that reckless music will never stop mentality to shape and define your life. You're gonna live according to his word and sow the things into your life that are gonna lead towards the life that in your heart of hearts you want, a life that aligns with God's word. I'll close right here. I want you to think about something with me, each of you individually, wherever you are. It's 2020. How old are you? You don't have to say it out loud, just get the number. In 2030, how old are you gonna be? I don't know if you're gonna be 27, which would be really young for you to be in here actually, uh, or 37, uh, or 32, or 38, or 39, 42, whatever that number is. It's your 42nd birthday. It's your 36th birthday. Your friends all get together and I just want you to go there with me in your mind. Your friends get together, you're 36, 35, whatever that number is, fill in the blank for you. They all get together and they're like, hey, you know, it's Lisa's party or it's Caleb's party or Chris or whatever. We're getting all together. We have the birthday party. They're going to Bowling Barrel. They're celebrating you. It's going to be awesome. Or wherever you like to party. And you're there. They bring out the cake and they got the number of candles just for your birthday. 35. Who do you want to be in that moment? Who's going to be in that room? What's the type of person that you want to be there? Do you still wanna be someone who continues to look at pornography every single day? Do you still wanna be someone who's in a dysfunctional dating relationship that man, they just kinda never grew out of, perpetually engaged? Do you still wanna be someone whose life is marked by, I'm just so anxious all the time, I'm covered in anxiety, I'm taking medication constantly to cope with the anxiety around me, I've got a drinking problem that I can't cope with? Do you wanna be someone who has peace Maybe who's in a healthy relationship or married in that moment, not perfect. Someone who's found that their identity didn't come from what other people think and I don't have to worry about pleasing other people. I have the approval of God, what else do I need? I don't know what you would fill in the blank and what that future version you would love to see, but here's what I know. Or here's what I wanna ask. How do you think you're going to get there? It won't happen overnight. In other words, the decisions that you're making, if you got this future version of just walking with God and family, and that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens moment by moment, and the decisions and the days between now and then will define what and who you will be at that party. Are you becoming the person that you want to be for those moments? And so let me close by iterating. How? How, how God do I become the husband? I'm gonna be 43. How do I become the dad that I wanna be at 43? How do I become more patient, more in love with Jesus, more generous with my time and my money? How do I become everything that I want to be? Because you know what, every single day, God, I wake up and there's things that fight for my heart, anxiety that can fill my mind, distractions that make me think I don't have enough money, I don't have enough appreciation from other people. Things that can make me think that, you know, I'm entitled more than I am or entitled in general and just can flood my mind distractions. Man, there's women that I want to lust over all the time. How do I become someone who's the husband, the father, the man, the pastor, the person, the follower of Jesus that I want to be? How? It's not by just waking up and saying, you know what? Today's my day. I'm going to try harder. 
It's by saying, God, I don't have the strength. Listen to me very closely, because I don't want you to leave with all the different things that I've said and walk away being like, yeah, just really like, go help, self-help. You're not strong enough, and neither am I, to become the man that I want to be. You're not strong enough to become the woman that you want to be. You can't conquer anxiety. You can't conquer lust. You can't conquer all the self-identity and problems like, you know why I know that? Because if you could, you already would have. You're not strong enough on your own, and neither am I. And so the moment that we experience freedom from those is when we go, God, I need your help. I surrender. I need your help. And I don't need it just for all the time, though. I need it all the time. I need it just for today. Will you help me today, God? Will you help me in this moment where I'm feeling temptation to not be your man, to not be the man that I want to be? Will you help me right now, God? I need your help. God, I need your help. Just moment by moment, moment by moment, I surrender my life. It's the same way you become a Christian. Christians don't try harder. And then you can be in relationship with God. They say, God, I can't, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough on my own. I need your help. I surrender. You paid for it. If I'm gonna have a relationship with you, it's, it's not because of me. I surrender. I need your help. That is how you live the Christian life. That's how your 20s thrive and roar. How about you getting so motivated you walk out of here and I'm never sinning again. By moment, by moment, God, I need you. I surrender. I need your help. I can't be who I want to be without you. Will you help me? And in those moments, God doesn't just move his spirit in and that's how he saves somebody. Those are the moments that he directs and sows and moves our lives in the directions that we want them to, that he wants them to. So we say, God, you drive. You're the Lord. I give you my life. I give you this day. I want to give you this moment. Help me. Let me pray. Father, I pray. Man, for just friends in here that feel like they're too far, like they're damaged goods. They'll never be able to have the story that they hoped for. They're not even sure that you are a God whose word and love and life was given for them you would meet them where they are right now. The Spirit of God would overwhelm and flood their heart as you say it does in Romans chapter five. And you would give them a vision for their life that's bigger than anything they've ever dreamed. Father, I pray for men and women in this room who are gonna run and they're not gonna listen and they're not gonna use their 20s and you love them. And there's parts of all of our hearts that wanna run. Would you help us? Would you win? Would you be greater and stronger in those moments as we surrender to you? And I thank you, God, for the men and women who are sowing seeds of life. Would you multiply those seeds as you do when we sow them? And would you spread a movement of their kind across our country of young adults surrendered and walking surrendered to you day by day? In Christ's name, amen.